Like the hub really come into place well. It, it creates that connection between one community and then another. And that's where opportunities come about to learn, to understand, to appreciate. And uh, when the uh, three penalty takers would have missed in the shootout, obviously, I, I'm not even going to give it the time of day, but we know what happened on social media. We know what was said. We all see it. In a, in a normal day at Kick It Out, obviously, when there is racism, everyone does kind of look at, to kick it out because it is the main establishment. How would, uh, how would Kick It Out react to that? Obviously... Right, hello ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Hashtag Just Talk. Because I'm nice and organised, I've forgotten what episode it is. I think it's episode three, but we're definitely on series two. COVID-19 has struck again. One of my guests has been ruled out, which we were moving back to another day. But first of all, a big, big thank you to uh, Tom Taylor, who he's joining us today. Hello, Tom. Hello, Rob. How are you? I'm really good, mate. Thanks for stepping in at the last minute. It really, really does mean uh, a lot to us. That's all right. No problem at all. First of all, I just want to say thank you to Groundwork and Comet Relief who are helping us support people in grassroots football, helping us manage to get this podcast together. And yeah, I'm really enjoying it. And I'm today catching up with a really old friend. We've already introduced him. His name's Tom Taylor. But I know it's a running meme that I struggle to pronounce names on this, but I can't really get Tom Taylor on, can I? <laughs> well, well, I hope not, mate. I mean... Most people, I mean, it's pretty generic, bland names, so most people know how to pronounce it. Double T. If, if I can't, if I can't say that right, it's no point doing a podcast. But <laughs> Tom, as I say to every guest, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so you've kind of introduced me with a full name, but I'm Tom. Um, I've been involved in football predominantly as a fan over the years but um last seven or eight years i've been involved in sport from a professional side working in marketing and communications um me and me and rob sort of met through uh amar udin who works for the football or still does work for the football sports federation through their fans for diversity program i was part of the comms team at uh, kick it out at the time who are a partner of the fsf fans for diversity program and uh, we bonded on a mutual sort of um, support of Leighton Orient, which has its many ups and many downs, as you well know, Rob. Mainly downs. Um, yeah, mainly downs. Yeah, let's be honest, mainly downs. Um, but through that, yeah, we, we worked together with, with Anwar on a few projects, which is great. You know, the, the Fans for Diversity Hub at Leighton Orient got going about three, four years ago and is still in place today, which is brilliant, despite the takeover and everything that went on. Um, a bit more about me is I was at Kick It Out for about four, just under five years, and then moved on to Devalia Rugby Works, which is another sports charity, but, but is more predominantly focused on sort of helping young people who are potentially on the pathway to a negative future, just try and get themselves back on track through rugby. And then currently I'm at a charity called Made by Sport, which focuses on raising awareness and investment for grassroots sport um, through basically recognising that grassroots sport does so much more than just physical activity. You know, it can improve your mental health. It can develop sort of life skills such as resilience, teamwork, confidence. And the truth is most people don't even know that. They just think it sport at grassroots community level is just about taking part and getting involved when it's so much more than that. So that's that's kind of me in a nutshell. And uh, yeah, that, that's where I am at the moment, what I'm doing. I love that analogy of uh, 
it's more than just taking part because you know nine in ten males, especially in the, the way I grew up, taking part was never enough. You know, it was you always wanted to go on and do that little bit extra bit, regardless if you wanted to win or come second or but you know. But even if you did lose, it mentally can. <laughs> I don't know, depending on how deep the situation is or how big the competition is, it can leave a bit of a scar on your on your mental side for a little while. So elaborate on it a bit more. So what are you uh what else are you doing at this charity? So so basically made by sport as a as a charity is just trying to a raise awareness of that and show look we we all know from our own experiences of grassroots sport and football particularly from from my side you learn about winning and losing a lot and and, and obviously you want to win and sometimes it does hurt but that is that is a life lesson that is about resilience you know you learn to come back from struggles and difficulties and think right i'll do better next time or what can i do different um, to a, be better i think that's i think that's a very key component from a grassroots football or even grassroots any sport you do it is the bounce back attitude you really do need it because you know it's like we've all been there I think we even we even played in a tournament together do you remember that tournament the uh, fans fight diversity oh, one at Arsenal yeah that's right yeah yeah that's right yeah I know it was easy to be on the winning side when you got pros in there but you know we were smashing teams 7 and 8 nil. I'd hate to have been on I know it was a bit of fun but even to have gone all that way to Arsenal in a tournament and not win it can can affect you quite a bit but I, I think yeah I agree with you Robbie it, it can affect you but the, that that's the greatest challenge we we seem to have in our society I think at the moment is how do you how do you come back from difficulty and this is in all walks of life I don't think it's grassroots sport you know all of our worlds now are on social media and everything is seen in an instant and I think it is tougher than previous generations to to come back from that sort of knockback in many ways, particularly as you say around sort of sport and. If you're so inferior to the opposition you're playing, you you kind of you feel you get humiliated. It is it is tough to bounce back, and that's where I think sport and football have a big role to play in society about learning about resilience and trying to understand yourself that. You know, situations can be difficult, but you can get through. And Tom, I think Tom, I'm quite interested in this uh, fans by diversity hub at Leighton Orient. I wasn't aware with, aware of it that much until I had a, a ticket in Eastland one day. Tell us what it is about, because I think it sounds fantastic, and I'm very the listeners are probably quite interested into what it is as well. Yeah, so the fans for diversity hub was set up with with Anwarudin, who leads the fans for diversity campaign at. Football Supporters Association. And basically what it was about was Anwar went to the club and said, look, is is there anything we can do to engage more of the local community around Leighton Orient? And quite like a lot of football clubs across the country, I think they've struggled to connect with the community literally on their doorstep, i.e. within half a mile, a mile. Most, most supporters tend to live miles away from the club. They actually support just a way of life. But a lot of clubs also want to connect with them communities and they're not quite sure how. So what what Anwar did was go round the ground and he and he noticed in, in the East Stand, which if you know Leighton Orient is quite an old stand. It hadn't been refurbished for a while at the time. And Anwar noticed this room, which was basically being used, being used as a place where the stewards could put their jackets and their stuff on a match day. But it was this great room right in the middle of the stand, which could potentially be used to welcome groups in. And... 
with the help of a guy called Howard Gould, who was at Leighton Orient at the time and Leighton Orient Trust, they basically said, well, why don't we turn this room into a hub where, you know, groups that are not necessarily usually go to football games or, or who have never been to a football game can come along, basically stay in a safe place, in a welcoming environment and then go watch the game in the stands. And it, and it worked brilliantly. You know, I know from speaking to Howard at the time, you know, they got a real good use out of it and they still do today. And I think it's really, it's really nice to have those sort of initiatives where something as simple as really an unused room can then become somewhere for, for people to actually come to a football game in a safe and welcoming environment and then understand, you know, that, perhaps some of the stigmas in their own mind or some of the preconceptions can be can be washed away by just actually coming to a game in an environment where they know they feel safe and I think that I think it's been a real success and it and it shows by the fact that the club still use it today as a sort of diversity help to welcome groups in from the local community four or five years on. Tom tell me talk me through what a match day for this room would mean because I know I get to watch the game is it is it something that's laid on to community groups? Is it something that's laid on to schools? Is it something that's laid on to vulnerable people? Or um, Basically, Rob, it was laid on for, for all sorts of groups. I think you mentioned there, you know, from, from my experience talking to Howard, it was used to for Asian groups in the local community. It was used for school groups, um, particularly primary school, young people coming to their first game. It was also used for um, mental health and disability groups as well to come along. So what, what what would happen on the day is basically these groups would get there probably about an hour before the turnstiles open. They'd be made to feel welcome. Howard would explain the club and sort of what would go on during a match day. They'd basically make themselves feel comfortable in the environment and then um, they would get to learn more about the club and then essentially come kick off, they would be taken to their seats, they'd watch the game, um, they could then come back in at half-time and just have a sort of relaxer after the first 45 and then go back and watch the game and then that was it and then enjoy the rest of their day. I think having that sort of environment which perhaps is slightly different away from the bog standard match day, i.e. you go in your turnstile, you have a drink, you have something to eat, then go sit down and watch the game. I think it does help people who perhaps are not usual attendees at a football game or yeah. those yeah. That, are, that are not necessarily used to the football experience. So I think that's where it was really key and where it, and, you know, I know it helped. I know they worked with like around 20 groups a season, which when you think about it, they would invite on average 10, 20 people. So it, it really was something that I think works. And I know from the, the first ever group there, um, an Asian group, they, they bought four season tickets off the back of it. So it showed you the kind of positive experience they had through that. A hundred percent. I think we have to open our minds and move on in the world. You know, Tom, if I was going to Leighton Orient tomorrow, the chances are I'm probably going to ring you or ring a friend up and say, oh, should we go for a pint? Now, obviously I'm not, the Leighton community, it's very, it is very an Asian community. You know, it is, and the Asian community, they're not, a lot of Muslims in particular, they don't drink. Like about 95% of Muslims won't drink. So, you know, going into a match day experience where a lot of people are drinking and they're not too sure if the food is halal for their culture and stuff like that, I can imagine it can be a bit of an off-put. So fair play to you guys for doing that, especially I think it's easy to think that everything's for myself normal, but for them it can be very quite scary to go to a match day, especially for a club like Leighton Orient. 
Yeah, and I, I think that's something that we're all sort of learning as as time goes on. You know, there are very we live in a diverse country now. There's no two ways of putting it, and you have to be mindful and respectful of everyone's cultures and the way they do things. You know, for example, like you say, with with Asian and Muslim cultures, there's not that tendency to to drink alcohol or be involved in an environment where alcohol is involved and as we both well know you know football culture has been brought up on that for the last 30 40 years so it's a case of understanding you know different cultures and communities and making sure you're respectful of everyone and I think that's where things like the hub really come into place well it it creates that connection between one community and then another and that's where opportunities come about to learn to understand to appreciate and then to not necessarily you have to make a super change in your life but just be mindful and i think that's where places like the hub work at their best so i'm gonna be very careful i uh, ask this question but obviously you've done some work at kick it out yep understand you're not with kick it out anymore are you yeah that's correct that's correct so uh when the uh three penalty takers would have missed in the shootout obviously i i'm not even going to give it the time of day but we know what happened on social media we know what was said we all see it in a in a normal day at kick it out obviously when there is racism everyone does kind of look at to kick it out because it is the main establishment how would uh how would kick it out react to that obviously we know that they haven't got a magic wand to make it go away. They are the the main place everyone goes to kind of look for support. What would how would Kick It Out react to that? So it's it's interesting you, you mentioned this, Robert. It may be different from my time there because I I left about two three years ago now. But from from our involvement, we we acted as a third party reporting bureau for any discriminatory reports. So if someone would directly report something to us we would then offer guidance and support in terms of reporting that to the football authorities or where necessary the police as well. And that would involve a reporting officer just providing sort of counsel and service to, to those that are affected. But when it comes to the, the more high profile events, like you mentioned with the, the Euro 2020 shootout, um, it would normally happen through the media where they would look for a, for a comment or response. And that's where my role in sort of the comms team would would get involved. We would have discussions internally with our board of trustees and also staff to reflect on the situation and then to gather our thoughts in what we felt was the best response. Um, interesting you mentioned around Euro 2020 and social media discrimination. When I was part of Kick It Out um, two, three years ago, we knew that social media discrimination like racing was, was on the rise and it was going to continue to expand, you know, into into vast numbers which we we wouldn't be able to recognize and the reality is that situation now seems to be an everyday occurrence on social media you know you you look at prominent black athletes or footballers or even you know of different cultures you know they they when you look at a post you will see some kind of abuse on their sort of comments and you know a lot of it i think is people thinking they can get away with it in terms of being anonymous and being hidden yeah in terms of the internet which is which is something that's very difficult to control um you know as much as people shout to the social media companies to try and stop this abuse the truth is i don't think they're ever going to stop it unless you shut down 
comments or you basically tag every potential discriminatory word and as soon as you find something it gets removed straight away it's a very difficult challenge for them but at the same time yeah it it's a complex situation and it's something that is going to take a while to for the world to understand and deal with you know i think you know it was interesting looking at the stuff around sort of the free penalty takers and as soon as i saw that happen i knew straight away they were going to get racially abused it's just one of those one of those sad things of life where you think someone's going to take to social media in frustration and say something that's completely unacceptable um the way to do deal with it is through education i think um to make people understand that there are consequences for social media posts i think people talk a lot around verified accounts and making people you know represent themselves when they're when they're online that is one potential option but i think there's difficulty there because sometimes I, I massively agree with that but it's these companies have enough data on us as it is little to give them a passport number or something well there is that as well you know there is uh, it doesn't quite link to this but there is you know um the reason sorry to explain the reason why social media companies are quite hesitant around putting verified accounts of everyone online is because um, because sometimes people need an anonymity in terms of, you know, if they're whistleblowing on social media. I think that's one of the main reasons why verified accounts haven't come into place for every single person. Yeah, I think it's the whole mental health side to it as well. Some people might not be comfortable putting their own name and picture out there as well. But Yeah, exactly that as well. Um, it's that and to the fact of that the downfall to this side, that a lot of these accounts are abusing people, but there are probably people in the world that don't feel comfortable in their own skin enough to be able to be themselves on social media, and it probably gives them an escape from their life. Well, yeah, I think as well that may be behind some of the some of the reasoning why, you know, individuals do post these kind of sort of appalling messages. You know, when I was at Kick It Out, what I tend, tended to notice in, when it was discriminatory abuse, when I saw it online, it tended to involve sort of young people creating fake accounts using like uh, a player's name and then some random words, like, for example, Martial's foot or something really daft. But they would just create an account just basically to abuse people or to say nonsense because they knew they could get away with it and they would never be found. And that 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 is that is one of the challenges of social media. Yeah, I think something that massively, massively annoys me. If I were to go on Facebook and quote something to do with COVID-19, the same with Instagram, it gets flagged up straight away as this information is not, may not be valid or something like that. But if I'm not going to, I'm not actually going to use myself in this because I don't even want to be linked to it. If someone puts a racial slur on or something like that, it can go missing for months. So my yeah. whole argument is if you can pick up the word COVID-19, why can't you pick up the most basic racial slurs and then move from there? I, I think you're absolutely right, Rob, to be honest. I think what sort of COVID-19 and the pandemic, like you say, with that sort of false information being spread, is that the companies can do something about it if they they've want to. They've proven it. 100% yeah. they've proved it with that to me. It's, it's not good enough. But at the end of the day, enough of us need to come together and decide it's not enough. But... Well, I, I think the key the key elements are for the moment until these companies get their act together, which I have sort of zero faith in, to be honest, is that when you do see something, report it, challenge it, 
if you feel safe to do so if you if you're comfortable that there won't be any sort of repercussions for you as an individual um because what can happen is that you know people who do challenge it then get targeted by these sort of troll accounts in many ways 100%. Um, but yeah the, the key thing is if you see something report it try and challenge it if you feel safe to do so and just make sure that where where you see it just do your part to to avoid it and remove it where possible tom i always like to end these podcasts on a high right so when i mean a high i don't think we're going to go much higher because we're talking about your football career now and your grassroots stuff i've asked <laughs> well, you yeah. on a monday night to come and cover as many times as possible but you keep turning me down does this mean <laughs> yeah. you, you're not good enough or oh yeah i'm terrible i'm terrible rob um basically to explain my sort of grassroots career in a nutshell, um, I think the biggest highlight I won was um, Team Player of the Year for being being uh, Lino for the majority of a season. Don't with, be silly. With... We beat the homeless England football team. <laughs> we're, we're, we're basically internationals, no? Well, yeah. If, if you consider it like that, then yeah, that that is true. That I probably should name that as my highlight rather. I than I thought you was quite handy that day. I thought you was quite a good footballer. Are you sure you weren't drunk, Rob? Well, I think I was that day because I did go and goal for the whole tournament in the end. But, uh... <laughs> oh, that was a good tournament, to be fair. Um, but yeah, but, uh, in terms of sort of grassroots, I've always sort of enjoyed it. To be honest, I haven't played as much as I probably should have because I didn't believe in my football skills in many ways. And judging by some of the past experiences, I'm probably right to do so. But I've always enjoyed it. And I always, and I think it's really important, you know, the one team that I was probably at last who played by the side, you know, we, we've all been mates since we were kids. And it was nice, even though we sort of only played for like a year or a bit, it was just nice to have some time with them and play football with them. So, yeah, that, that's what I've always joined about grassroots football, it's just the camaraderie of it maybe and getting to but know. If you'd had a really good game on the rare occasion... You know, mm. especially playing with your friends. There's, a, you know, do you wake up the next day with a little spring in your steps, a little bit of confidence to improve your your week and going forward? Yeah, of course you do. I, I think whenever you do something well, you're going to do that. I think, like I always remember with my uh, eleven aside team, which my mates set up in uh, in Essex. Whenever we'd win, which was quite rare, you know, it'd always be a good Monday because you'd think, yeah, we we had a really good Sunday there. Um, and we put in a good performance. Everyone sort of ran their socks off. And, you know, there's nothing better, that, in my opinion, than, than winning as a team because it's not just you, it's everyone else sort of contributes to it as well. And, yeah, and, and on those Mondays, yeah, like you say, I think you, you always felt good and always felt a bit better about the week ahead. And you thought, right, that's a good start. Let's just keep it going. Tom, we're going uh, to wrap it up there. Thank you for coming on such short notice. It really does mean a lot to us at the pod. We do owe you one. No, no, absolute pleasure. And uh, yeah, best of luck with the rest of the series. I'll, I'll be, I'll be listening in. Tom, where can we find you on uh, Twitter? I'm, I'm actually not on Twitter, but I will say to everyone: um, if you're involved in grassroots football, go and follow Made by Sport at Made by Sport at the moment. Because basically, what we've got at the moment is a is a fund which is called Clubs in Crisis, where we're offering 2,021 quid to to clubs that basically can show that they they provide sort of a club that does a bit more than just participation. Like I was talking about at the start, like helping people's mental health, helping them develop life skills. If you're a club that sort of does that, get involved in it, put put an application in because you could could potentially get two grand for your club, which should help you keep going during this this period of the pandemic. And hopefully when we all come out of it, you'll have a bigger and brighter club to shout out about. 
Did you hear that, Anise? I know you're listening, Anise, at this point. All right. Did you hear that? Two grand. Yeah. yeah anyway, <laughs> my last question to you is, what does grassroots football mean to you? Oh, question. I, it it means a lot. You know, when I when I was young, you know, I got involved with um, a couple of teams locally over Mile End Park, and also played for through the late and all right sort of youth system, not like professionally, but just as a going to training sessions. And it really captured my imagination and interest in football. And I think that's what grassroots football can do. It can take it away from the TV and actually give you real life experiences that, that last your whole life. And that's how important it is, I think, for the whole of the country. Tom, brilliant. Thank you for coming on. Guys, that was hashtag just talk. We will see you again in two weeks. And guys... Don't forget to speak out and get talking. Cheers, Tom. Cheers, Rob. No worries, mate.